RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. After nine years at the helm of the Foundation of Surgery, Professor Kingsley Faulkner has recently stepped down as chair. Taking his place is outgoing RAC's president, Dr John Batten. Professor Kingsley has been instrumental in significantly increasing the number of donors and donation-based income for the Foundation. The achievements made during his time include the Foundation's support for global and Indigenous health projects and surgical research and education. Professor Faulkner reflects on the Foundation of Surgery's achievements over the years and how it all started. He's talking with Chris Ashmore. It was the brainchild of a Professor Dick Bennett. It's his legacy that this thing got going in the first place. It's been going, I think, over 30 years now. He, he died, I think, last year, unfortunately. But it's a great legacy because he saw the need to increase surgical education, interchange between uh, surgeons of different countries. And that was the genesis of the, of the foundation in the first place. But its main roles at the moment are surgical research and, and surgical education and uh, it is now funding surgical research to the tune of $2.7 million per annum. I think 39 scholarships were awarded in the last 12 months. It is a major funder of, of surgical research. Per capita, it is the largest funder of surgical research in the world and probably second only to the Royal College of Surgeons in England uh, in terms of overall total funding, and that's a much larger college. So that's an important f- focus, and the funding of surgical research has, has doubled in my, my time from about 1.3 or 4 million to 2.7 now. And surgical research, of course, is vital for the progression of surgery and surgical care, not only in this country, but across the world. So that's one of the drivers for being involved, and one of the things that persuaded me to get involved in the, in the first place. The second major thrust is, is global health. It used to be called international health initiatives, but now global health initiatives. There are 7.5 billion people in the world at the moment, there are thereabouts, but 5 billion of them do not have ready access to safe, affordable, emergency and essential surgical anaesthetic and obstetrics care. So it's a huge challenge. Now we can't solve all of that problem but we can certainly try and do our bet in the Asia-Pacific region amongst our, our neighbouring countries, countries that are poorer than ourselves, have less well-developed health systems than ourselves, and that's a major initiative and a major thrust of the foundation, and that has continued to expand. And the third field, we recognise the huge deficit there was in Indigenous health care in this country. As you know, the the longevity gap is still about 10 years or thereabouts. It's still a huge issue. We wanted to look at what we as a surgical college could do to assist and a foundation to assist. We did a, a scoping study and we decided to look at ear health, eye health, renal health and the need for renal transplantation quite often and uh, road trauma as four areas that we could make a contribution towards or at least to a better understanding and we've made significant contributions in, in e-health in particular in the Indigenous uh, community. But we've also decided to look at uh, young, promising young Indigenous medical students or young doctors, both in 
Australia and New Zealand, and we are an Australasian college, the college covers New Zealand as well, try to identify these young people and select some to, to fund them to come to the annual scientific congress of the College of Surgeons. And we've done that for, I think, about four or five years now. And it gives them a chance to see, uh, to mix with the surgeons, to get an understanding of what a surgical career might look like, and essentially to try and inspire them to consider surgery as a, as a career path. When we began to do this, we had only a single surgeon of Indigenous origin or part origin in this country, Kelvin Kong, a wonderful man who's an ENT surgeon in New South Wales. We wanted to expand the numbers. In, uh, in New Zealand, the number of Maori surgeons is considerably greater. And that's been a success. And one of, our, one of the people that we funded to come to an ASC, an annual scientific congress, a young woman named Claudia Paul, uh, became, was awarded the Rhodes Scholarship in, uh, I think, 2017. And she's now doing a PhD in Oxford. And if you look at the response she wrote to us after attending the Congress, it gave her confidence and uh, inspiration, and and that's a real success story. If we can start inspiring young people to go forward, then then we've done a, a good job. And we're beginning to also fund uh, scholarships with the assistance of Johnson & Johnson. Indeed, it's been uh, wonderful, the kind of work that the Foundation has done since you've been there and, of course, before as well. But um, what do you think compels an individual or an organisation to donate money to something like the Foundation of Surgery? One of the best things about the model for the Foundation of Surgery is that the College of Surgeons has said, we will um, cover the costs, the administrative costs of running the Foundation. So every single dollar that uh, surgeons or anybody else donates towards the Foundation goes towards the purpose for which they donate it. As you know, many foundations, many charities, a lot of their money is, is gobbled up by administrative costs, just that's the way it is. But it is a huge uh, advantage to us and for me as chair of the foundation and the board to say to fellows of the college and others, if you don't donate a dollar towards this foundation, you can be sure it'll go for that purpose and nothing else. And they can specify which branch of the activities of the college they may prefer it to go to, that is to the global health initiatives or to indigenous health or to research and some of them some of them do that and some of them uh, specify um, or don't specify. They, they say, well, you do with the money what you, you think should be done. What encourages people to donate? A lot of people go into, into medicine and in other fields of life, at least at the very beginning, do have an altruistic... Uh, thrust to what they're doing. And if they see a foundation working well, doing the job it says it's going to do, seeing publicising the results of the work it does, they get encouraged uh, to donate. We also have a system now where when surgeons pay their annual subs, there's an opt-out clause. There, there is a, a moiety, uh, I think at the moment it's $315, that goes to the foundation unless the surgeon chooses not to allow that to happen. So it's an opt-out arrangement. That certainly has assisted our, our funding. So there has been a significant, I think about a fourfold increase in the number of surgeons actually contributing to the foundation over the last decade or so. The quantum itself doesn't, hasn't gone up fourfold from the donations, but it is continuing to rise. So one of the sources of the foundation money is certainly the, the donations from surgeons. Another major source are 
you know, significant bequests, usually from surgeons, but sometimes from those associated with the surgical activity. The largest of these has been from a man named Rowan Nix, who was a cardiothoracic surgeon. He, he died in his 90s. He didn't have children, but he had a significant amount of money to leave, and he, over time, had contributed $7 million to the foundation, and it has funded the um, the Rowan Nix scholarships, multiple scholarships, uh, I think four or five scholarships each year, usually from the Asia-Pacific region, of surgeons to come to Australia or New Zealand to upskill in various areas. And one of those recipients uh, in, in 2016 was a, a young doctor from Bhutan, and he was the link person when the uh, Bhutanese conjoint twins were brought to his attention. He arranged with the surgeons in Melbourne, where he had done his attachment, to see whether they could deal with the problem. And, and of course, they did. Separated those twins, I think, in November last year in the Royal Children's Hospital of Melbourne. And he was invited to uh, not be part of the surgical team, but to observe the surgical team in action. That's a great story uh, about what can be one of the flow-on effects if you uh, encourage surgeons in other countries to, to do that thing. Another significant initiative uh, aligned to our own is, is the Weary Donlop Boon Pong Scholarship. Uh, Boon Pong was the Thai trader who uh, smuggled in supplies to the, uh, the troops on the Thai-Burma Railway, uh, the death camp so-called, and, and they've set up this scholarship. And over time, we brought a number of Thai surgeons to come to Australia and the flow and effect of that is huge. You know, the, the good relationships we set up between countries like Thailand, Fiji, the other Pacific Islands, Papua New Guinea and Timor-Leste are immensely important and they reflect very well on, on Australia's interest in their welfare. And if we can do that through medicine, in this case through surgery, that's one of the drivers about why I'm involved that's one of the drivers why people donate to the foundation. They see these things happening. They see the benefits coming from them. Personally for you, Professor Faulkner, what, what has been some of the highlights over your time as chair? I've just got back from Thailand. The annual scientific congress of the College of Surgeons was held in Bangkok, Thailand. And as chair of the Foundation for Surgery, I chaired a Foundation for Surgery dinner. It is to thank significant donors over time at this annual dinner. And our guest of honour was President Jose Ramos Horta, former president of Timor-Leste, East Timor. Between 2007 to 2012, he won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize with uh, Bishop Carlos Bello in 1996. And he's a very brave and very effective uh, man in terms of his advocacy in the United Nations and elsewhere to to eventually lead to um, independence for that country. And since 2000, the United Nations uh, saw the huge need for uh, ophthalmologists to get eye health uh, up and running in Timor-Leste in 2000, and the College of Surgeons has been involved since 2001. I first met him in 2001. And the Foundation of Surgery and the College of Surgeons has made a huge contribution to Timor-Leste, developing their their health system over the intervening years. And he, uh, he gave great credit to our activities. He survived an assassination attempt in, uh, when he was president of, the, of Timor-Leste and a surgeon 
Philip Carson in uh, Darwin was a surgeon that probably saved his life when he was transferred there and we sat them together at the dinner. Uh, that was a heartwarming thing to see. Our involvement with Timor-Leste is a high, one of the highlights because we have made a difference. We have helped build capacity in that country. When we first went there, there were just 20 doctors in the whole country, a country of um, about 850,000, 900,000 people. We knew that if we just went there and did surgery and, uh, and uh, consultations, we wouldn't be doing the whole job. We went there with the specific purpose of, of helping with the operations and the consultations, but also to educate the local people to help build up their health capacity. And from that uh, 20 individuals initially where a university has now been established, a medical school has been established, they are graduating doctors and we, the College of Surgeons and the Foundation, have been involved in developing diploma courses, postgraduate diploma courses, and now um, Masters of Medicine courses and uh, 10 pediatricians graduated uh, this last time in that field. That's a, that's a high point. We also were asked to go into... Uh, we conduct what's called the Emergency Management of Severe Trauma, the EMST course, to upskill our, our own people in uh, the management of trauma. And we were approached to, to bring that course into Myanmar several years ago. And we, along with the um, Australian College of Emergency Medicine, have set up trauma courses in Myanmar. When we first went there, apparently there were no, not a single ambulance in the whole country. The trauma services were very limited indeed. And we've now run many of those courses. We've taught the local people of Myanmar how to, uh, to run their own courses. And that is uh, an ongoing process, upskilling local people in that area. We have been involved with the Pacific Island Project for a number of years. That's funded by AusAid Money. That's an ongoing exercise. It was in place before my time in, uh, in the, the chair of the foundation, but that's continued similarly with the Fiji School of Medicine and initiatives in Papua New Guinea. Another thing that, I, that we on the foundation in my time are very proud of are these initiatives in the Indigenous health area. We did a scoping study, as I mentioned, into uh, particular needs of of Indigenous people um, that we can make a difference as surgeons in and the ones we identified were ear health, eye health, uh, road trauma and uh, renal disease with requiring transportation. Now, we, we are not in the business of providing all of those services, but we are aim to identify where the, the deficits are and, and try to encourage um, funding, government funding, to assist in, uh, in, the, in programs that will make a real difference in those particular areas. That's a highlight for me, and seeing the young, promising um, doctors coming through and putting their hands up to be trained in surgery, and also just the expansion of surgical research that's vital for any discipline and surgery, as well as other branches of medicine. In my time, the, the Tour de Cure initiative was set up. Uh, there's a, a young surgeon named Michael McAuliffe from Queensland, whose own son died at two, age two or three from a brain tumour. He was determined uh, to do something if possible and he's part of the Tour de Cure cycling group that raises money for cancer research. And through his contact, uh, the foundation in my time has set up this scholarship. The Tour de Cure fund has funded us to, to the tune of $1.5 million 
to set up a scholarship for um, specifically for cancer research. That's uh, that's an ongoing thing. And with these scholarships, we we fund them from the corpus. So we have built up the corpus, doubled the amount of the corpus from I think about twenty five million to fifty million in my time. So the the donors to scholarships don't go directly to a particular scholarship recipient. They go into this corpus. They can specify what it's for. They're mostly named scholarships and they're often for a specific purpose. But the funding of the scholarship comes from the the revenue generated by the uh, the investment portfolio. So it is an ongoing thing. It doesn't deplete and hopefully continues to increase. That's a very good model for getting funding for research scholarships. And the recipients are often... Uh, asked and sometimes required to get additional funding from other sources to supplement what we can provide. I'd have to say that that funding of surgical research is a continuing highlight of anybody in my position or on the board of the foundation. Indeed. Well, it's incredible the work that the foundation has done and including what you've done, Professor Faulkner, but if we can perhaps turn back to your early career as a surgeon, time that you spent in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. And we're talking quite a number of decades ago. But, um... <laughs> that, that was in the 1970s, and it was actually before I went, became a surgeon, and, I, and it was the reason why I did become a surgeon. I went up there at the end of the, my second year out as a, as a young doctor. I'd done three months anaesthetics at Royal Perth Hospital. I'd delivered my 20 normal babies at the um, King Edmund Memorial Hospital. But I was you know, sent up there by choice, uh, on a rotation from, from Royal Perth Hospital, initially a three-month rotation. And the, the Pilbara and the medicine of the Pilbara got into my blood a bit and I ended up staying 14 months. And because I'd done uh, some background in anaesthetics and and a few deliveries, they said, well, you're going to give anaesthetics up here as well and you're going to de- be one of the people delivering the babies. And in my time there, I delivered a, around 100, 100 babies. There was a woman in the town who was a GP obstetrician who was very experienced and knowing that she was there to back me up was uh, gave me sufficient confidence. You wouldn't be able to do that now. Medically, legally, you'd be too exposed. But that was a different era. And it gave me a chance to not only work with uh, Indigenous people, but work in an isolated, pretty isolated environment where you had to make decisions yourself and you had to get on and do the job. Uh, that... Uh, that matures one as a, a young doctor, but it also made me realise my limitations in the area of surgery and uh, and I eventually decided to go to Britain and start my surgical training. By that stage, I had two young sons, so that's where it began. But it also gave me a chance to go out to the Whitnoom Gorge and see the blue asbestos mine and get to know about the tragedy of asbestos and become really involved in public health advocacy on asbestos and then later on with uh, tobacco and uh, and uh, with environmental matters. Well, the ramifications for asbestos still occur today, is that right? They still occur today. I think from asbestosis and mesothelioma, there are around 500 or more deaths per annum in Australia still. It's an absolute tragedy. And if you look back at it, it's a disaster, not only from the point of view of those who are mining it and the corporations who didn't want to stop, but also successive governments who... When they were told the evidence, they said, well, it's, it's you know, commercial activity, we, we've got to keep going. Huge mistake. That got me interested in public health advocacy and then for 35 years or so I've been involved 
with the Australian Council on Smoking Health uh, to try and drive down the prevalence of um, tobacco use in Australia. And that has been a successful campaign, but it's taken a long time to get to the stage we're at now. And you're quite vocal on environmental issues as well. This country and the world is facing a huge problem with climate change. And it is a tragedy from my point of view that the federal government uh, and all sides must take some blame. The federal government has basically done far too little and is doing it far too late. We're running out of time. The climate scientists are telling us that. The the United Nations is telling us that. WHO is telling us that. The Lancet, David Attenborough and many others who, who know what's happening. We've got to deal with this problem much more urgently than we've so far successfully done. And that drives me. I have four children. I now have 12 grandchildren aged between 13 and uh, twins of six months. And the future that I'm leaving them is far less attractive than the future I, I had when I was a young, young person. That disturbs me and that motivates me and that makes me angry when politicians still do far too little and they're doing it far too late. So that will continue to drive me, uh, Chris. I'll be involved. But I won't forget um, the Foundation for Surgery. I will continue to be uh, a donor to it. I will continue to promote or help promote the initiatives. We, we began uh, with, with the Pledge of Procedure Week, uh, for example, where surgeons uh, give the money raised from one procedure during one week uh, of their surgical career in one month towards the foundation. That's the thrust. and It raises a considerable amount of money. This last uh, Pledge of Procedure Week was devoted entirely to the East Timor, Timor-Leste initiative. Is there a final message you'd like to give for fellows and others listening to this podcast about the future of the foundation? I think the Foundation for Surgery has proven itself to be a very good model for a philanthropic uh, body. It has the huge advantage, as mentioned, that the donations given to it go entirely to the purpose of of the foundation. And the college, to its credit, uh, continuing credit, funds the administrative cost. That that means all of us as surgeons contribute to that in, in a small way. I would like to think that surgeons will continue to donate towards it, see the huge value in doing so, to look at what they can leave as a legacy and to, to seriously think about the bequest if they have the, the resources to do it and uh, the family situation where it makes it possible to do it. All of us have competing demands on our resources, but this is a worthwhile organisation. It is doing extremely worthwhile work. Some of the benefits are apparent immediately. Others take time to, to come to the fore. I mean, research, for example, usually takes a long time. The benefits of research take a long time to to manifest in many cases. But if you get a scholarship, a research scholarship from the Foundation of Surgery, often it launches that person into a, into a surgical research career, a surgeon scientist career. The benefits of that are huge and that will benefit all uh, surgeons and all the communities that we serve, of course. So I would say uh, please consider the Foundation for Surgery it is a worthwhile organisation. It's been a great privilege to be part of it for, for these last nine years. I won't leave it in terms of not being involved in some capacity or otherwise, but I, I have to step down as chair after the maximum term of, of nine years. 
I'm handing over to John Batten, who's uh, the immediate past president of the College of Surgeons, who stepped down from office in uh, at the ASC in Thailand, and he, uh, I'm leaving it in very good hands. I would also like to pay tribute to my other members of the board of the foundation, in particular to Michael Gorton, who was my deputy all of that time, to Chantel Thornton, a breast surgeon from Victoria, to John Collins uh, from New Zealand, Professor John Collins, and to the remaining members of the board, and to the financial advisors, uh, particularly to Brian Randall and Tony Lewis as the uh, key financial advisors, because the financial advisors are important to make sure that the funds we do raise are well invested and can uh, help the whole project move forward. Well, finally, now that you have a, a little more free time, not a lot of free time, I suspect, but uh, what are your plans for the future? I grew up on a farm and I we still have kept this old family farm. It's been in the family for over 100 years. I'll be going down there this afternoon after this um, podcast. I will spend time there. Uh, I know what I'm doing on a farm. I, I did a diploma in agriculture before medicine and some arts units. So I'll spend more time there. I I do have the responsibilities of being a grandfather and, and a, a wonderful wife to spend time, more time with. I hope to travel, but I will continue with, with a few things like the environmental initiatives and probably with the Australian Council on Smoking and Health. I'm also on the board of East Metropolitan Health Service, so that is taking a fair amount of my time. That is a board uh, that administers Royal Perth Hospital and four other eastern hospitals of the Perth metropolitan area. And we have, you know, over seven or about seven thousand employees, and we cover a population of about seven hundred thousand people. So it's a responsible position, with a budget I think of one point four billion dollars. So, as a director of that board, essentially a director, I have a significant responsibility to make sure that's well run. I'll do my part in running it. So with those things and uh, hopefully trying to do a bit of writing, I've got plenty of things I can be doing. I won't be bored. Professor Kingsley Faulkner. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.